This episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Monahans Marine. We recently partnered with Monahans and are excited to be working with a local marine business that has been serving the South Shore of Massachusetts since 1961. For decades, the crew at Monahans has been helping generations of boat owners with outboard parts, boat service, marine equipment, and fishing tackle. Their professionalism and passion for being on the water has made them one of the most reputable boating headquarters in the Northeast. Monahans is located on Washington Street in Weymouth, and they are currently a Jones Brothers and Tidewater Boats retailer and have the most well-stocked inventory of Yamaha outboards, parts, and rigging in mass. The entire staff and crew of technicians have decades of experience, and as a recent addition, Monahans has built and rigged out a brand new 4,000 square foot offshore and inshore fishing tackle shop. They are fully stocked with everything needed for offshore canyon fishing, nearshore bluefin tuna fishing, striped bass fishing, and more. We're excited to be able to use this new space as a home base to maintain our own tackle and charter fishing fleet, as well as use it as a spot to film some upcoming podcasts and workshops. As a part of this partnership, Monahans has been generous enough to give all listeners a discount on anything in their store and facility. So when shopping at Monahans, if you use promo code MBG24 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off any purchase in their tackle or marine department. To learn more about Monahans Marine, their location, boat and engine inventory, or parts, visit monahansmarine.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Black Oak LED Lighting. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting, at a reasonable price for the fishing, boating, hunting, and military communities. If you're looking to upgrade the lighting system on your boat, Black Oak LED provides many different options of marine-grade lighting, including cockpit spreader lights, LED light bars, undergunnel lights, and underwater lights. We've had Black Oak LED lighting on both of our boats for several seasons now with zero failure, zero issues. They're an essential tool for us to help ensure safe rides home, to and from our fishing grounds in low light and poor visibility conditions. And their series of marine spreader lights are also a great tool for getting bait fish to school around your boat in the dark. If you're re-rigging your boat or outfitting a new vessel, check out Black Oak LED for your lighting systems. Make sure to use the promo code GIANTBLUEFIN for 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Afuera Coffee Company. Afuera Coffee Company was started by and for people who not only love exploring the outdoors, but care deeply about restoring and preserving our environments and habitats so everyone can enjoy them for years to come. To help work towards this, they donate 5% of all sales to charities and organizations currently donating to Cappins for Clean Water. 
Everything done at Afuera has sustainability as the main focus, sourcing beans from certified Rainforest Alliance farms, using compostable coffee bags, mailers, stickers, packaging, and of course, donating a portion of sales, not just profits to protect Mother Nature. It is their dream that through many small decisions, such as choosing and brewing your go-to coffee, that we can all make a substantial difference in the health and cleanliness of our world. Afuera is doing it right and makes a tasty product. If you want to give Afuera Coffee a try, visit afueracoffee.com and use promo code MASSBAYGUIDES for 15% off your first order. Thank you for tuning into the Seabros Fishing Podcast. On this episode, Captain Damon Sacco of Castafari Sport Fishing returns for his fourth annual podcast with us. Damon is a pleasure to talk to and, as always, has great stories to share. In this conversation, we start off with some experiences with seasickness, both our own personal stories and with guests aboard. We move on to discuss tournament fishing, logistical challenges in running a large offshore fishing tournament, and some recent controversy Damon has had in his own tournaments. We also talk about the use of new sonar technologies and whether or not we think they should be allowed in specific events. Damon tells stories about fishing south of Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket on the draggers this past fishing season, hand-feeding giant bluefin over 800 pounds. We also discuss traveling to fish across the globe. Damon does a lot of traveling as an angler to target new species using tactics that he doesn't get to use a lot in his own local waters. He talks about his prep for an upcoming trip that he has planned to the Maldives, targeting dog-toothed tuna, big jacks, and many other species. Finally, we spend a bit of time talking about the upcoming 2024 Castafari Offshore Fishing Seminar, which is March 2nd and 3rd at the Marriott in Quincy, Massachusetts. It's always an educational, exciting event to attend, and Damon talks about some of the new presentations on tap for this year's event and mentions some legendary captains and fishermen that will be speaking. This is a great conversation. Damon's always a pleasure to have, have in the podcast studio, and uh, as always, we, we learned a lot and shared a lot of laughs, so we hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Captain Damon Sacco of Castafari Sport Fishing. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast, where we follow three words of wisdom. You can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the last, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight. So Emily was in Texas with uh, my daughter for like four days, and uh, my I was with my my son was home with me. Yeah, and she was just going for like a baby shower. And, uh, my son got sick, so he's like throwing up and stuff. And then he was fine for like a whole day. And then I got on the phone with her and, uh, I'm like talking about like what happened. This is later at night after her baby shower, after the baby shower she went to. And, uh, 
I'm like talking to her on the phone and she's like talking to Wyatt, like FaceTiming. And all of a sudden he just projectile throws up oh, on the lens? basically on my face while, oh. I'm, while I'm FaceTiming her. Ah. Uh, oh, that's priceless. Yeah. That's when you want to be recording. I know. Oh my when God. It's pretty funny. Wyatt basically projectile threw up in my Bring face while I was FaceTiming Emily. I was in match and then Hunter. You see that video back on the day? I have seen the video, yeah. That one's pretty bad. I don't know why this keeps slouching down. My daughter puked on my lap when I was I was on a Spirit Airline flight to uh, <laughs> to Fort Lauderdale. And she was sitting right next to me, and she, like, hurled all – I, I, I saw her getting sick, too, and I'm like, let me get the bag, honey. Hold on. And she just was like, nope, right in my lap. And I had shorts on, and I could feel the puke. Like, it went down into my socks. Oh, my God. And so God. the flight attendant's standing there, like, with a – huge pile of paper towels was handing me one after another <laughs> and the guy and the guy next to me the funny story actually i forgot to mention the guy next to me who was inside of her she was on a window seat he was with his wife and i had my son with me and they, these the kids are really young at this point and the and, and the and i asked the guy hey man do you mind like trading the window seat from with my son he's by himself and and he and he was with his wife and he goes no and he wouldn't let me. What an ass. Yeah. And his wife was like, oh, she's like, I am so sorry. I was like, don't worry about it. And then and then I'm like, payback's a bitch, motherfucker. And he's sandwiched in by a mountain of fucking cute towels. <laughs> Holy shit. That's fucking funny. What's the worst seasick story you've had in the boat in the past few years? So I had a scary. Do you guys know Eric Johnson? From Green Harbor, doctor. Wow. He's a heart surgeon. Sounds very boat, familiar. Boat named Shaman. I'm horrible with names. He's good with faces. You'd know. You'd, you guys. Good with boat see. silhouettes on the horizon. <laughs> yes. I can identify pretty much any boat and who owns it. Boat silhouette? <laughs> He's got a green stick. I know who that is. Right. <laughs> People know me because of my tower. I have that black, yeah. like, uh, bimini top. Yeah. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, I was out. It was like two years ago. We were, um, I forget who was mating for me. I think it might have been Anders. We were fishing Peaked Hill, and this woman got really, really sick. And all of a sudden, she just turned white, like really white, you know, like scary white. Like, I, I was worried about it, you know, and I'm like, are you okay? She's like, and then I saw the shakes, oh. and then she was going in and out of consciousness. Oh, and I was, I was like, we got to we gotta get her back. And, and her husband was, and, and the bite was on, like Brett was next <laughs> to us fighting a fish. And I think it was the, the morning that you guys came down from the bank. It was like two years ago in the fall. And I was talking to one of you guys and you guys got a fish that day. And it was a big fleet. It was all on Peacot Hill and it was late in the season. Anyways, it, we were, it, the bite was on. And of course I'm like, motherfucker, like I gotta go. So I call Eric Johnson. I'm like, Eric, what should I do? He's like, what are her symptoms? She's, is she, is she shaking and dehydrated and going in and out of conch? And I was like, yes. He's like, dude, call the ambulance, have a nine one, like have an ambulance waiting for you and get to the nearest port right now so i had to beeline it back to port like in the middle of a great bite and and we dropped this woman off and the, here's the crazy part of the story though the daughter went with the mom and the dad stayed and he was like let's go back he's like let's go back out now and then the fish had sucked yeah did she improve it when her feet hit land or was it like no, no, on no, the she ambulance? Went, no, no, on the ambulance. Like, like, no, no, they took her right in. Probably brought her in and shot her up with like IVs. IVs and, and all that. Yep. Hmm. She was in rough shape. I've never seen anybody get that, you know, debilitated from seasickness. I've seen the shakes, but I've never seen in and out of consciousness. I've oh, seen that's napping. Like next level. Napping, it is. you know, yeah. is different, but. There's a term for it when you go in and out of consciousness. <laughs> it's basically like you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Time to go home. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
I mean, I've been uh, sick. I've been really sick out there a few times. Have you? you? Know? Yeah, back in the day, I used to get. Nick told me you get a little seasick from I, time to time. It happens in in the dark. It's always yeah. in the dark when I can't see anything. You know, everything's moving, and it's got to be pretty sloppy. But we've spent some nights out there where I uh, and I get migraines sometimes. And and when I get a migraine and I'm seasick, I'm fucked, and, and I have to lie down for or I'm toast. Weber gets seasick. Yeah. And uh, Matt Channel gets seasick. I woke, Calling you all out, boys. I, I woke up, threw up, and then I was fine on uh, – whose boat were we on in the canyons? Larry? No. Oh, Rob West's boat. Oh, yeah. Remember when I, I was napping? Well, it was also like 8 and we were in a 32 tote. Was that, was that during <laughs> yeah. the big game battle? No, that, that was in it was, June, I think. Yeah, it was an early, early trip. trip. We got a yeah. white Oahu – and like some tiny tunas. And we had that miniature sword that trip. Oh, that yeah. tiny, tiny one. Yeah. That's funny. No, but I remember waking up and I'm like, I'm going to throw up. So I threw up and then I was fine. And I've had probably like a half a dozen times that I honestly think it's just from lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems to be always in the canyons from like 1 to 3 a.m. When I'm like re-rigging stuff for the next day, I'm like, dude, I feel like that's shit. A, that has got to be the peak, like you know, highs and lows. That is <laughs> right. peak low on a canyon trip. Absolutely, it's yeah. That pre-dawn like prep for the troll, it fucking sucks. And nobody says a word. People just heads are down. Yeah. People are just grabbing shit. Where'd you put the? You know, <laughs> yeah. and no, and and then it's like you get a, you know, like you get a trip where it's like you know you throw some slop in there. And oh, it's, it's like I just want to stay in bed. Yeah. I feel like that fog that. Like low fog doesn't clear until you hook up at sunrise oh, yeah. or in the morning. Right. Yeah. You're kind of just in this like Red Bull stupor and like, right. you know. And there always is a morning, usually, not always, but usually there's a morning bite which snaps you right out of it. You're, yeah. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I remember one time I was with Kevin Glenn and I had Kevin, Scotty, and I think I might have had Galvin too. It was like the dream team way back in the day. We went to Mont, we fished a shark tournament in Montauk and I ate some salmon pate. Oh, that would make me throw up on land. I ate that pate and I swear to God, like 20 minutes later, I I fucking threw up my spleen. Like I was, I was hard, like dry heaving. And, And I ended up staying in the bathroom. You can ask those guys. I was in that, in the bathroom floor for like, a half an hour like oh. in the fetal position and, and like just deathly ill oh yep that was that was probably the worst i ever had like sickness but that wasn't seasickness that was just this episode is sponsored by costa del mar if you didn't know already costa makes some of the best fishing sunglasses on the market they have a ton of frame options and offer a wide variety of lens colors And their 580 color-enhancing polarized lens technology is tried and true. We are big fans of their blue mirror lenses for our offshore fishing charters and their green mirror lenses for inshore. They've stepped up their game big time, and they offer a great new line of performance fishing apparel. We've been wearing a lot of it the past few seasons on charters. We found that all of it's well-designed, comfortable, durable, quick-drying. It can handle a beating. To check out Costa's great selection of sunglasses, apparel, and wide variety of other products, visit costadelmar.com. What is what are some things that you do to uh, help with that morning prep, that morning like awfulness when you're trying to get ready for the? I usually morning just bite? kind of pull the covers up and stay in bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
yeah. pretend I don't hear yeah, Anders or whoever's yelling at me That's to wake funny. up. Is there anything like tackle wise that you do or anything that you like? To be honest with you, I, you know what I try to do is is in the in the evening when we're breaking down for the for the night for to go on the drift at night is I try to just organize my shit because I remember the days when I would just take stuff and throw it in a corner or I'd have a pile like there's my pile because the problem is in the dark and the you know in the next in and a lot of people are sleeping on the bridge deck usually my clients and I, last thing I want to do is like blast a bright light on so trying to go searching for shit in the dark so what I do is I just make a, like a night a like a morning tray and just try to organize shit. That's like the biggest thing for me, for us is like trying to be organized. Yeah. You know, also having separate rods for the night makes a huge impact on how tired you're going to be later on. 100%. And especially with the sword rods, because that's what we're primarily doing at night. We're not really, unless the troll has been slow and then we're like, fuck, we got to try to get some meat on the deck. But usually we're just sword fishing. So we use the two sword rods. We can use the floss loop and then leave the floss loop on the line and not have to like find it and clip it. And then, cause the other thing is you get a lot of algae on those sword rods. Mm. And, and if you're, you know, trying you get to get cra- ready for the morning, you got to clean all that shit off. And- the crazy twist you get at night yeah, and twist. then you're trying to put that in the riggers and you're constantly like flipping over your Absolutely. tip top of your rod. Just yep. clean Pain in the ass. a lot cleaner. Yeah, we have two straight butt fifties that we use for for the sword rods, and it, it works out great. It's awesome. Um, so last season, let's talk a little bit about last season. I mean, we just came, we just finished up like a season review for ourselves. His last season, I know. Yeah, no, but you, well, what a season though, for, especially for you. I mean, for the bluefin fishery, which I don't really get into until the fall, but that was red hot all summer. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. How were the canyons? The canyons were, there was one eddy and it was, it was on fire when it showed up in July and my tournament was kind of the first onslaught of, of fishing that, that we had up here, you know, from like Cape Cod anyway. And it was like, it was an eddy that was to the east. So it was out towards like, I want to say it was like hydro, uh, um, where the hell was that eddy? Yeah, no, it was east of hydro. I'm sorry. It was like, it was out towards Welker. And that eddy was really the only gig in town all summer. And as as time progressed, it got slower and slower and slower. And by the time we were fishing, like in the tri-state, I was in that same eddy with, you know, 100 other boats. And it was a grind, you know. My my tournament is always, I think, the best fishing because I'm not out there enjoying it, you know. And I see everybody coming in with all these I feel fish. Like it has been for the last, it's, since you've been... Maybe it was not the very first year you started it, but from then on, it's been the it's best. It seems to be on fire. Yeah. On fire. It's yeah. almost like the kickoff. You know, it's like the yeah. water kickoff bite happens during the OBBC. And then we usually go like the week before. And I did. I went out there actually the week before the OBBC and I went to Lydonia to check the eddy just to see if there were fish on it on the, on the uh, west side. And that's out of range from my tournament, but I was hoping that because it was a week before the OBBC, so I was hoping we'd be able to find fish and at least be able to tell people online and create some hype like, hey, we went there, there's lots of fish, we just got to wait a little longer for the edit to get into range, which it did, but it showed up like two days in time. It was kind of stressful, actually, because I was thinking about modifying the rules and I, you know how that goes uh, late in the game. So. But I did do a trip early season, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it, it wasn't set up enough. We caught a couple of whites. Um, we didn't get any sword bites. We did some drops during the day, and then we had a bunch of uh, tunas. 
And um, Tyler was out there and um, he, same thing, he got into some tunas and maybe got a sword. It just hadn't set up yet, but I knew the fish were there because we could see, you know, we could, we could I was marking them. I, I, they were down deep. And then it was like a week went by and we had nice weather. And I think that's, that's the other thing is when you get like consecutive days out in the canyons that are, that are nice early in the year, I feel like that's what that fishery needs to, to marinate is not a bunch of chop and slop. It needs like mm. three, you know, not bluebird days, but just not, not, you know, hard wind days. Um, and that's what happened. It was right, right before the tournament, we had some really nice bluebird weather. And then it was basically on fire for like, I'm going to say three weeks. Cause we went after the tournament, we had a really good trip. And then by the time August came around, it was like, good luck. You know, you're out there in the desert, huh. you know, beautiful blue water, no breaks because it was so warm by then. You know, we had a really warm summer dry. Um, and, I don't know if the no rain makes a difference out there because the, the the surface temps get so hot. I mean, we had surface temps that were like, you know, almost eighty. Yeah, you know. Wow. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a good good year, but not. I wouldn't say it was on fire, but lots of blue marlin around. Um, you know what really sucks is they took away all the buoys. They took away all those weather buoys out there, which is a bummer because we used to fish those a lot. Hmm. We used to fish those a lot. Those had a lot of fish on them. Why'd they take them out? Do you know? I don't know. I know one of them broke off and wound up off of like Norfolk. Um, and that took an entire ecosystem with it. It had like four feet of coral built on, you know, that had grown on yeah. the chain. Um, and, th- and that was a, you know, when that thing was around, th- that was like, there was skipjack, there were blue marlin. We were actually live lining the skipjack. It was a lot of fun. And it's uh, one thing I haven't done out there is live line. Mm. You know what? It, it's not always good. We've tried it. I've tried it with pogies. I got bluefin doing that. Tried scup for yellowfin. Yeah, you get bites here, there, but it's almost better to use chunks, I, I feel like, out there. Like, we've never done great with, with live bait other than when we're trolling skippies. But the problem with trolling skippies is you get a lot of sharks. Mm. But if you're trolling skippies around skippies, that's when you get the blues. And so the skippies would be around those buoys a lot. I mean, there was always a resident school of skipjack around uh, the, that weather buoy that yeah. was uh, south of West Atlantis. I mean, it was like clockwork. We'd show up. I'd send Maddie or Billy up on the bow with a, with a spinning rod with a deadly dick. He'd catch a hook a skippy and he'd be like, come on. And then I'd have to like, you know, go forward so he didn't get spooled. Then he'd <laughs> reel the f- fucking skippy in and like Maddie would scoop it up with the net. And then I'd be like bridling it as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> throw it in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then, you know, I'd be like, get in the chair. Because, you know, at that time we had like 130s in a chair and we were like full on blue marlin fishing. Mm, but it was sick. so much fucking fun. Sick. So much fun. What's uh, what's some of or one of your most memorable catches on a skipjack, live skipjack? This episode is brought to you by Rodan Marine Systems. Technology in the marine industry seems to be improving at an exponential rate from year to year, and Rodan Marine is at the forefront of the GPS anchor and trolling motor industry. We've been running a Rodan GPS anchor on our 30-foot center console for a few seasons now, and it's been a game changer. With quick deployment and the simple push of a button, you can anchor down on a spot and stay within a few feet of your target location without having to deal with a traditional anchor, 
20 plus feet of heavy chain, 400 feet of anchor line, obviously depending on how your setup is, but it's just very, very convenient and accurate. The fishing applications for using a Rodan are really endless. We find it extremely useful for both our inshore striped bass fishing as well as our offshore tuna fishing. And the customer service and support at Rodan is amazing. They offer overnight shipping on parts and are available to troubleshoot any issues that you might have. We've put close to a thousand hours on our motor and have had next to no issues. Any problems or questions that we've had, the team at Rodan responded quickly and has had parts to us the next day. If you're interested in taking the next step on improving your boat's anchoring system and giving yourself an advantage when it comes to fishing, make sure you check out Rodan Marine Systems line of GPS anchors. Visit rodanmarine.com to check them out. We caught a big, we had uh, Eric Johnson with us, making him the celebrity today. So we we uh, we were out there trolling skippies and we um, we had a banner trip. We caught a bunch of blues. I think we caught like, I want to say we caught four or five blue marlins Jesus. On, on the live bait. We caught one monster that was, you know, over seven, just a tank that's sick. and that was cool we got when we got that fish like you know nice and healthy right up to the boat got some good video got some good pics and uh it, it's just nice when you can actually bring a a big billfish in and actually film it because usually i'm like worried about you know the things on its side and it's like trying to get its last breath and, and you're like trying to revive it and you spend so much time trying to save the fish that that for me anyways i'm not rolling footage like i should be like like mm-hmm. i almost need a like you guys have a lot of fixed mounts i need to do that you know have some wide angle mounts just rolling the whole time yeah um, but that fish you know usually we can revive them i mean once in a while we, we do lose a fish now and then it sucks it's like the ruins the day that's just big game fishing though yeah no i know it, it is it really is but you know usually that doesn't happen and this fish though came in all lit up and it was just a, it was just an awesome experience that's so, sick yeah Another time we we were doing that and there was a dive boat there. And the problem with the dive boats is they come right up to the buoy and they tie off to it and then they jump in the water. And they're, I know they're spear fishing, there's big eye, there's yellowfin and, and, uh, and wahoo. And uh, in fact, one of the guys, I forget who it was, it was a guy, a spear fisherman who, who charted Lou DeFusco. And I think Lou was telling me, the guy said, I, I, I saw wahoo down there that were like 200 pounds. They were, he's like, the next world record is coming up here meat missiles just huge so i mean so i mean but that's what was around those buoys man it was like and it makes me want to i know we've talked about this it makes me want to go out and like you know create a fad and like you know, know. Yeah. put a bunch of shit in the water and let it marinate for three months it'd be one thing if it was 65 miles from home and not you know 140 miles 120 miles from home 110 miles from home yeah it's even like, 60 miles <laughs> yeah true well it's just like how do you keep track of it you yeah. know it's yeah. like and, and unless it stays on the surface, but then if it stays on the surface, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a zoo, mm. you know, or someone's going to find it and be like, what the hell is this? You know, and yeah. get rid of it or cut it. How was the tournament this year? Tournament was great. We had uh, 60 boats, a lot of fish. Fishing was good. We had a little controversy um, with the spear fish. I don't know if you guys heard about that. I didn't. I didn't hear you about, didn't hear about the spear no. fish. No. Oh, Damn. Well, yeah. Talk about, yeah, there was, so every tournament has controversy. I feel like there's got to be some, you know, it's not a tournament unless there's a protest or a, you know, a rule infraction or, or, or some type of drama. Um, but, uh, 
the boat Polarizer. They're they're a boat out of New Jersey. Really good fishermen. They 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 fish the circuit up and down the, the coast. Um, they had a bunch of white releases, and I believe they had a blue and a swordfish. I mean, which in my, in the OBBC that that racks up points. The swordfish is huge because you if you weigh a fish, you get a point per pound, and I believe they brought in a fish big enough to weigh. I can't remember exactly, but anyways, they were doing really well on points, and they they knocked. Um, no mercy out of first place when they came in with all their points and it was their billfish points that got there. They had tunas too. And it was funny too, because they're like, you know, they're white Marlin guys. So they, they had a lot of light tackle Mm -hmm. and, and, and you, you know, I could hear them. They were like, man, there's some big fucking tunas up here. We we were, (laughs) and, and, you know, they were hooking them on the light stuff. Oh yeah. And, or actually I think they, they switched over to some big, sticks uh when when they got into the tunas but they just had one of those banner trips like they couldn't do anything wrong right and they they had footage i saw the footage they had and it was just like they were in like a, a froth of tuna like out, way off the edge too which is pretty unusual to see a lot of surface speeds like that i mean I've, I've been fishing out there 30 years i've seen maybe like six or seven surface feeds and, and they were like in the middle of one but anyways they they had this um peculiar looking white and they called it a spearfish and i went you know at the mate and i sat down in the salon i'm looking at the footage because i review all the footage and i'm like yeah i'm like yeah that's a spearfish and i'm like yeah well i assumed it was a round scale spearfish because it i thought it was a white marlin you know a hatchet marlin yeah um i really did and to the point where i sent it to scomal and you know he was like i think that's probably what it is as well and but the owner um was like you know I think it's a, a short bill spearfish. You know, it's not a round scale. This is a like a real spear. Do we have short bills in the Atlantic though? So there are a few cases that um, there are short bill spearfish catches. Hmm. So is that part of your tournament? As far as points, or is that not even? Now it is. <laughs> now it is. It's all. Sounds like a touchy question. Uh, it's all uh, spearfish. I'm, I'm on board I mean, now. listen. I, so here's the thing. I counted it as a I counted it as a white, yeah. and they got points for it. Um, and they went into first place, and they were they stood to win a lot of money. Yeah. Um, they they still won a lot of money, but they they came in second after all this happened. But they were in first place, and and uh, and and you know the owner George. Robinson calls me and he's like, Damon, he goes, I, that was not a round scale. You, you counted it as a white marlin. I'm just, just so you know, you know, like the, we're standing by what we saw. Our assessment is, 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 is a, is a real spearfish, not a round scale. And I'm like, I think it's a round scale, George. And, and we were going back and forth, like six phone calls. One time, you know, he was like in the middle of having dinner and I'm like, I think it's a round scale. You know? <laughs> so, and then I'm calling Skomal. We're having back and forth. So then Skomal's like, I'm going to, I got to call John Graves. Jonathan Graves like wrote the book on spearfish. And then next thing you know, Walter Golett and every marine like aquatic biologist was, was in this circle. Like just bouncing so, around the ideas. I'm, I don't want to hell this thing. Was. I don't want to cut you off, but so, yeah. so the spearfish. Does the spearfish, would the spearfish bring him to the next level of points or is it so like what was the no, arguing factor of it? It I had guess? nothing to do with the tournament. Okay. He wanted the Grand Slam notoriety because it's pretty, very unusual to catch, especially in the Atlantic, to okay. catch that got type it. of spearfish. They got a white, they got a blue and a swordfish. So they basically got the, the whole, you know, billfish Grand Slam mm-hmm. in the Atlantic. Um, very unusual. And so I get it 
they want they wanted to uh you know to to capture that but i just disagreed and adamantly because i just a i didn't you know i i really believed it was a round scale and i didn't want to like back down from that and then have somebody i mean here's the thing by backing but if i did back down which i eventually did they ended up losing so it, 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 if it had gone the other way it would have been a nightmare in other words if i had if it really was a if i really thought it was a, a short bill and i counted it as a round scale and then someone saw the footage like tyler on no mercy and he saw the footage and was like that wasn't a round scale that was an actual mediterranean got it, got spearfish which and then you wouldn't count, have the which didn't count which didn't points count points at wise yeah at all Correct. because it was only round scale spearfish and I started looking at rules. I started looking at white marlin open, mid-Atlantic, and they count all spearfish, which is interesting. So there have been other catches. I remember uh, Andy Lavelle, who you guys obviously know, oh, he, yeah. they caught one on the Christine years back, and Frank Pitton showed me the picture, and it was a weird look. It looked like a wahoo with a little bill. Yeah. You know, re- like, almost my wife's like a, caught one. a big my wife, valley. My wife caught one in Hawaii, and... and um. Forgive me, I don't know like the name of the species, but there's like rare fish species photos all the time. There's this there's this one fish that I've seen pictures of. It almost looks like a dragon with that that really like tall, long dorsal. It's not a billfish. Short bill spearfish, at least hers, looked like that dorsal fin with a wahoo's head. Like black back down. It was and we've caught round scales before. You and I have. Yeah. It was drastically are different. very different. Like the yeah. like the round scale and the white has a, have like a paddle peck mm. right a rounded peck whereas these spearfish have more of a pointed yeah peck and they're and they're just more angular i feel like they're not as girthy they're just real you know pointy and thin and um but you know they they got listen they you know george saw it up front i didn't i was looking at a video and then sending it out to aquatic biologists i let them decide i was like listen it's mm. out of my hands whatever those guys come back with we're gonna roll with and and those the guys on polarizer agreed and and ultimately the biologists you know kind of like agreed i don't know how but they came to the conclusion that it was a short bill so but wow. there was some controversy for That's them cool. too it took a it wasn't like a, it was like a jury yeah you know yeah. it took yeah. a while This episode is also brought to you by LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, we've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's that he's made over the last several years. Um, his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the Northeast Um Northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna, um, you know you want to take care of that fish as as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, 
you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed <clears throat> and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants, um, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So, um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, and Facebook and see how we have it rigged, but it's a, it's a tool that we've implemented, um, into our, our process aboard our boats and, and it, um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish. And, um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new, that new release hook, um, from LT, um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. That's a tough place to be in. You know, and I feel like everybody that, that runs a tournament always ends up in that place many times. It happens, you know, happen. you know what I, I knock on wood. I, I haven't had, I like, look, look at the lawsuits that happen, yeah. you know, I mean, I, you know, I try to keep a real level playing field, keep, you know, the transparency is the key. It's got to be transparent. You got to make people capture footage on anything they're not actually bringing in to the scales was it the mid-atlantic that had the big shark bite controversy this past year that was the big rock big, big rock, rock tournament. that's right yeah, yeah can you imagine and the, and you know what sucked for that about that was it was a t- the tiniest little fucking bite it was like a little make like was. a six foot mako maybe even smaller you know it was one of those little like makos that look like little monsters they're like all teeth and with a tail something like that took a little nip at the marlin and, and cost that Meat Eater did a podcast with the captain and crew. It's worth a listen. Yeah. Yeah. So what did the, what, 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 in, a, in a nutshell, what did the, was the guy cool about it after the fact? They were pretty distraught. I mean, did the were, fish were, die tail wrapped or something? From what I remember, it was just an epic battle. Right. Towards the end of allowable fishing time. And it was like a charter, a local charter guy that had like a rotating crew you know, five, whatever, I don't know how many days it is, but like these two guys are day one, these two guys are day two, yada, yada, yada. And um, like there was no like struggle, like as if the fish were being sharked out. And then they didn't even notice the shark bite until they pulled it they in. They hung it. I thought they hung it. I thought. Because it was underneath the fish. They didn't see it. I, hmm. I'd have to listen to the podcast again, but I thought he noticed something small when they came through the door, but it was also like hard to see because I didn't, the fish see, was it. In the I didn't see it right away. Like when I saw yeah. the fish, I was like, wow, what a, what a nice, but it was, it was more with the rule. It was, um, 
I might not be getting this 100% right, but like they're in that particular tournament, like they refer to the IGFA rules. To the IGFA rules, but the majority of the rules in that tournament are tournament rules and not IGFA specific. It's like one of the only. It's it's just for. um, So there was a little ambiguity there because it's just for basically shark bites yeah and it didn't it didn't spell out the rule in the rules it just said said refer refer to igfa from what i understand gotcha which igfa if there's any sign of a shark bite at all it doesn't count correct right Right. and i i've had to you know i've had to disqualify mutilated fish happened to nick on on uh opportunity oh yeah it it was might have been either last year or the year before they they had a you know just a bite like teeth marks nice blue had to disqualify it i had another boat that the shark ate half the fish. It was probably Same. a big tiger. Just ripped the thing in half. That Those sucks, too. Because you know? that's out of your control, right? It's one yeah. thing if you you hit a fish with the wheel, right? Mm. Mutilated. You, you know, you fucked up. You know? Steve Fernandez had that big Allison yellow. Uh, oh, fish that's half. Right. That Remember that? Shark, yeah. Was that the Tri-State? I don't think he was fishing a tournament. That was out at like Hydro. And there were, yeah. there were three or four boats that year that got into those big, mm. big tunas. And and, uh, and he was one of them. And they were big fish, man. They were like, you know, 200 pounders. Yeah. They were fucking tanks. Monster. And you know what? You know what's funny? I started thinking like th- those, I feel like there's got to be schools of those fish, residents, you know, for the season, seasonal residents, big Allison tunas that are down deep. We caught one. One year, like years ago with my old boat, um, when I had the lures, it was like back in like 2004, we caught like a hundred and I think it weighed like 138 pounds and it had the big sickles on it. And that was the last one I've seen. I know Galvin got one and, and there's been a few other boats that have gotten into them, but they must be, they must live out there. Like there has to be, it's just not a lot of them. Yeah. And I don't know if they're down deeper. Yeah, Walkalettes showing the, like the biomass of yellows that we pick from and how it migrates and you've seen some of the photos of the Allison yellows in the areas where they do go. It's like, there's no way they aren't there. Right. There's I think no it's, way. it's just like when, you know, there's small bluefin around with giants. Mm. You got to catch four shorts to catch your giant. Even 80 inches and 115 inches. Right. And know? maybe, and maybe they're down, you know, maybe they're down deep with the big eye, you know, maybe they're just in certain areas. Maybe they're off the shelf. We just don't like, maybe I would love to troll. Uh, my my dream is when I hit the lottery is to, is to, <laughs> is to troll to Bermuda and just, just see what the hell's out there. I know, I know Cookie Murray's done it a bunch of times. They, when the speculator, I remember the speculator came rolling in out of the, like a ghost out of the middle of nowhere. I was out at beach and I was the only boat out there. And I, and I see this you know, this tower come in from the east. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And speculator coming in. It was Cookie coming in from Bermuda. That's trolling. Cool. And they, I know, I you know, I know they got into a bunch of blues, but you know, there's got to be like big Allisons out there in the in the open ocean too. I mean, once you're in the stream, you're in the streams. The way I look at it, you know, mm. I feel like the fish don't know whether they're you know what latitude. Yeah. You know? I mean, the conditions are correct. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we got tarpon off Chatham now. Yeah. Tarpon off Chatham, white marlin. I know. Did in, you hear in the, the canal the in the bay? Sailfish in the canal. Sailfish in the canal. The tarpon uh, that I swordfish in January on Jeffries this year. Oh shit! Yeah, really? On a party boat. I don't think they caught it, but it was swimming around the boat. Wow. Jesus. There were tunas uh, seen like the other day off of New York. There was some Oofing. caught locally when it yeah then it reopened you know, for the new year. Who caught them? Do you know? I don't. I just know it was a, like a couple bites. Couple. Wow. Couple of fish. That's nuts. That's nuts. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is we, it more nuts that they actually caught him, or or the fact went. that they fucking went fishing? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I went in December and I thought that was bad, but yeah, January, <laughs> no, thank you. You know, I, uh-huh. I, I just, and you know what? It's, it's just every. It's, I feel like that's the trend, though. It's like a later start and a later finish. Mm, agreed. Although, you know what? Not with the. T- actually, I, I shouldn't say it, with the bluefin, but because I remember like. Tuna Fest used to, was in June for years, and it was on fire. Small fish. But then that went away. They, the fish didn't start showing up until July. But I feel like lately, I don't know, in June, have you guys, like on the bank, have you seen? It's been slower to get going. Yeah. This year sure. was pretty good, the end of June. Good action. Southwest yeah. Corner was good, the end of June. Was there were a few fish on Middle Bank. I harpooned a little bit with Jeff in June, and we saw quite a few fish. Did you? Yeah. Well, all like packs, though. There was no herd you know, at least the the day I went and, and talking to him and stuff, there was no like massive, massive biomass. It was just like pack Scouts. after pack after Small pack. Packs. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You were just talking about that shit is addicting. Yeah. You talk about like what, I, I you love get, to do you getting into hunting and like you know how addictive it is. And yeah. That shit is like crack, dude. It's insane. Just that different perspective of these things after doing it raw and real for so long. It's hard to explain. It really is. Mm-hmm. I watched the fish look at him on the pulpit, like swim under him and look at him while like he missed. He should have hit the fish, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he missed. And uh, there were like three fish to his left and one fish to his right. I'll, I'll post the video. Maybe I'll, I'll have George post it um, while I'm while I'm narrating here, but one of them he throws and one was kind of deep off to the right. And when he misses these ones take off and it was like, this one wanted to try to get with the others. And in doing so, it just like rolled, like looked right sideways, looked at him and just stayed under him. Like as he's trying to pull back the harpoon, I'm screaming at him that the fish is still there, there. takes a shit and takes off. Like being able to see stuff like that, just body movements and behavior and, Watching yeah, them go cool. down and get the bait and then push them to the surface yeah. and then, you know, blow it apart. And then you see a milling for a few minutes and then you get your shot and then they do it again. That's cool to see that, to get that bird's eye perspective. It really was. And then seeing like, just being up that high for a whole day in our waters, being able to see that transition line and the tide and where they like to feed in relation to that transition line. Yeah. Just it, it learned a lot. Like you see that line coming through on anchor, but it's a completely different thing to see it for like almost a mile in this direction and a mile right. in this direction. Right. That's cool that you can see them feeding. So you actually saw like bait balls being pushed yep. up, and then they'd go away, and then like within twenty to thirty minutes, you'd have them up. Wow. You know, soldier formation, digesting, whatever. Right. And then you have your shot, and then they do it again, and it just happened in and around the tide changes, just like the rod and just reel like bite. the rod and reel bite. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny how like how you know dependent, how significant like the slack is with bluefin, mm. but not so much uh, other than blue marlin. We I have noticed that that blue marlin do have like a cyclical feed out there, like time wise. Huh. Yep, it's and it's. I learned that way back in the day when I was fishing the. Uh, Nantucket Anglers Tournament. They used to. It was the billfish tournament back in like uh, late '90s, early 2000s. And those guys would all, all the old timers were like, "Yeah, they bit on the slack." And I'm thinking to myself, like, 
like, how, how, who, how the hell do you determine tide out there, you know? Yeah. And then they were using it's like the trying Davis. to figure out tide in Florida. Right. <laughs> yeah, up, right. Up, up, down. No, up, up, up. There's two ups today. Two ups. There's three downs. Right. There's, yeah. a cross, there's a cross perpendicular current. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, uh, but like, it, honestly, though, and then they, they use Davis Bank as like a, as kind of the uh, the medium, and then and then you just add on or subtract whatever you want. But that's that's kind of your base. But there was a pattern with blue marlin feeds. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Especially during the moons when the, when there was tide ripping. If you could handpick, I know Decavia talks about this a lot. He talks about it every time he presents it your uh, your seminar. But if you had to pick a moon phase to fish, like multi species moon phase. Generally, we've had good success out there. What right before be? the full. Right before? Right before the full. It's... it's uh, For the canyons. Yeah. For the canyons, right yeah. before the full. Yeah. It's just... I, I love... Uh, the full moon can be good too, especially at night, but um, always good for... Usually good for swords. Um, billfish love it as well. I mean, the blue... Mar- we all know the blue marlin love the, the moons, but... Um, the, for something... For some reason, the canyons just like leading up to the full. I've... No, you know, found anyways that they they are most productive. Yeah, we get we get some good action, you know, leading up to the moon. I feel like the 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 moon comes and then it slows down and then it's like it needs to has a recovery period, like after the full. Mm. Yeah, so that's I what we've seen. Generally, about the tunas around here. Yeah, I like the new. I like closer to the new moon though for tunas for for bluefin for bluefin. Yeah, like leading up to the new waning crescent. Yeah. Did you guys? Um, did you guys do any like dragger fishing out around the bank? Did you pull up to the draggers at all? To, we pulled up to a couple in October. I don't think I I November. Went behind, I went behind a few, no. but didn't mark anything or see anything. Excuse me. October, we pulled up to a couple but didn't see anything. Yeah. Over over near like Peaked Hill. Um or in the bay. Between the nine hundred line and the bank. Yeah. On the way home. We were kind of like they were seeing them. They were seeing there. them, yeah. But we never like they were in there. Really I, I know people who 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 fished on you know all over the place. I mean, Chatham was the Chatham thing got out of hand because it was there were a lot of people that shouldn't be doing it there. There were guys pulling up and like there was. I mean, I saw a Ron's hanging from one of the birds on one oh, of the God. draggers, like literally God. swinging around, hanging there. So somebody casted a Ron's at the dragger. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine like? With it, hooking a fish, <laughs> yeah, the thing's just gonna sit there and eat. It, like that's not gonna do anything. S- spinning to it. rods around a dragger Amazing. in general, you're gonna, you're, like, you're, you know, your it's not gonna be short. It's so. going into that net in about seven seconds, like yeah, you know. But that was cool. There were there were there were that many <laughs> fish though, man. It was like there were fish everywhere. I mean, we saw fish. In fact, one of the talks we're gonna do at the seminar is like the inshore giant fishery and like all these spots holding fish really close to shore, mm. you know? Um, I mean, Nomans had fish off and on and, they, you know, the word got out in August and it was, but that wasn't the only time they were there. And the word got out in August though. And there was like, I want to say there were like 60 boats on top of the Southwest ledge. Mm-hmm. So you guys know that ledge, it's not that big. It's yeah. like, I don't know, 20, 15 acres. And uh, it's only 60 feet of water and literally the mackerel there. I've never seen so many mackerel. It was like there was a biomass of mackerel that that, that just lived there hmm. for like a month. It was wall to wall. Kind of like the screen in the fall in December. The mackerel. When was this again? 
August. off of Nomans. This was in August. in August. August. We still had it in August. Yeah, I'm trying to think when it left. Uh, October. Late September, October. That's when you were fishing uh, chapstick mackerels when I was in PEI. So you guys saw a depletion of max? Yeah, right? but it was also... It was not it a also depletion. also correlated yeah. to a northeast blow, though. It was 100% the northeast yeah. blow. Like, there was a bazillion mackerel, giants. And then the sand deals got mackerel. pushed somewhere. Uh, yeah, the sand... I don't know exactly what happened. We had a northeast, like, three-day, 40-mile, 30, 40-mile-an-hour blow. When was that? In September? I can probably Late September. I was away. Yeah, it was we right, had nice weather. You had shit. It was weather. right when you left for PEI, pretty much. Right before PEI, actually. Right before you left. And it you car- were nervous. Yeah, 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 yeah. About that's PEI. Right. That's right. And then you had like some west northwest days or something. And it was good that. a couple days on the bank. And then it just, the bait was gone for like three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Gone all little tiny tinker mackerel. But we were getting, we got our biggest fish in the year on like a seven, probably not even seven inch long. Like it, the, the length of this. Whatever this would be. Mm. Tiny big. little Mac. Tiny, tiny, tiny Mac. I came home from Canada. I know we, are, we talked about this with Ben, but so I left it. We we're fishing like mackerel. Yeah. Yeah. And I came back and Ben's like, save that, save that. And it's like, what? He's like, I swear, that's the size, dude. That's the size. <laughs> yeah. I leave for two weeks and my mackerel leave? I'm like, what the that's fuck? That's funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were tiny. We, we were, were fishing. We were fishing in the bay one time, and I and it was pouring fucking rain, like off and on. And we're everyone's inside the bridge deck, and and uh, my mate kid was out there. Um, and I'm like, kid, we need a whiting. We we need a whiting. That's what the bites are on, because all we have was Max. And so it's like pouring rain, and kid's out there, and he's like jigging away. And all of a sudden, I see the rod tip, you know. <laughs> so he's like, I'm like, reel it in slow, because he wanted to be like, I only get the fucking thing in so I can get out of here so I don't get soaked. I'm like, reel it in slow. And he's just getting pummeled with a downpour, <laughs> right? And he gets it up, and it's this fucking whiting that's like six inches, tiny little fucking whiting. And I, you know, I have this like eight-aught, you know, gorilla. I don't even know what I was using back then, but we, we zip tie it on with a little zip. T- we used a little zip tie back then, but. Instead of bridling it, but the hook was so big that it like pulled the the whiting oh, sideways, yeah. and like I remember him like dropping it down, and I was like, "Well, it's better than nothing." And it fucking came right out of the hand. The it's, bite came right out of the hand. Yeah. So I mean, like you said, like you know, I, I ele- uh, peanuts, elephant eat elephants peanuts. eat peanuts. Correct. Yeah. What was crazy is the bait source was was like that up where up in Canada while it was going on down here. We were seeing the exact same things. I don't know, as the bird flies 800, 700 miles away, 600 miles away. So the mackerel down by you were gone in, at the end of August? So here's what happened. They they inundated, and it's funny because the claw had mackerel too, but they were scattered. It would be like you'd be drifting, and all of a sudden you get into them, and then you drift another five, ten minutes, and then you get into them. Whereas Nomans, it was like you couldn't even get the sabiki in the water. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just wall-to-wall bait. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened was I feel like the mackerel got maybe pushed in and corralled and that's why the tunas were there and then they were gone. And then the whales were there too, by the way. So the whales probably had more to do it, with to do with it than it. the, yeah, than the tunas, but the tunas came in and cashed in, but then, but then there was gone. It was like a ghost town. There were no mackerel. You couldn't even catch uh, Tommy High was out there at one time trying to catch a mackerel and he couldn't even get baits. Um, but all, I, you know, my question is, where did all those mackerel go? Because the fish, the, the mackerel left, the fish left, but then the the fish came back and there were giants inside Nomans between Squibnocket and Nomans hmm. busting on bluefish. And so there was a little secret bite going on there. 
And I mean, that's, you know, shallow water, 60 feet of water, you know, abutting like 10 feet on yeah. a sandbar. But there were so many bluefish. And that's that's why those fish are in there. Did the tunas go from like a herd on the mackerel to packs on the bluefish? Or is it still the same amount of tuna fish? Um, I think the, the amount of tuna fish that was there when those mackerel were there was exorbitant. There was, yeah. there was a shitload of fish. And the thing is, the claw had fish. Cox's ledge had fish. I, I remember... Um, they were ba- they were bluefin from basically Muskegon Channel all the way to Montauk. Hmm. They were and, and the and the windmills. Check this out. So I was fishing the tri-state, and then I, I like I told you, it was slow. We we got some fish. We got a bunch of yellowfin and a couple of whites, but we didn't we didn't you know you need a big eye to win that tournament. Um, and so we were kind of you know frustrated, tired, and and we were just about to leave to go back home. And I get a call from my buddy Carmine, and he's like he's like you got any bait left? I'm like no, nah, not really. I, I said my my drunk crew was Buddha and Big Mike and Jimmy. They they caught a bunch of squid after I told them not to, and uh, and the live well was chock full of these giant you know Block Island squid. And I'm like, yeah, I looked in the live well. I'm like, yeah, I got some squid. He goes, get out there to the windmills. It's it, it's on fire. And so we went out you know three miles out out front of the island or behind the island, and uh, and there was a, there was a fleet and there was just bent rods everywhere. And it was out of the hand bites, like just so many fish, That's like crazy. stupid fishing. And it was like that off and on, like, you know, you just had to find them. The mud hole had had bites off and on, like they were just that many fish. Mm. Rhode Island, yeah. you know, which unfortunately we can't fish unless you have a, a Rhode Island landing, landing permit. permit. And they and they enforce it now, which is, you know, I guess it's good, but it's it's tough if you're, if you don't have the permit and you get caught. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to try to get a permit just just so I don't have to. If I am fishing down there, I don't have to run all the way to New Bedford. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's insane. There's that many bites. There's that many fish. It's nuts. And that's the everyone's bitching about the prices, right? And you know, let's face it. I, I don't know how you guys did, but I, I didn't do shit for prices. I mean, I got maybe six to, six to eight were the highs, but I got like that that big fish that my girlfriend caught. We got a dollar eighty a pound for that fish. We were in the same ballpark. A yep. couple that were like ten fifty, eleven yeah. early in the season. We had one twelve bucks. Most of it was like four to eight. That's bucks. great. Twelve bucks, man. That's but it like was like a school. eighty incher, you know. So yeah. Like, well, I the feel like you get the same the... price for no matter the size. You know what? The small fish were were better for me too. Yeah. The ones we were getting at the claw and the south of the vineyard were better priced fish. We need more people in the United States to want to eat bluefin tuna. I feel like there's just well, a stigma around it and no one markets it and it's amazing and you can do so much with it. And we just I think the need buyers to eat our own fucking to. fish. I know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The you buyers know? need to need to I think find some more consumerism. Like 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 right now I think the buyers the market gets saturated and the buyers don't have the consumer. They just so they because you know they're making the commission no matter what. So they're not really they don't really have an incentive to to expand their their customer base and I feel like it'd be great if someone developed like an app even that allowed, you know, fishermen to you know to basically broadcast to the to the consumer world, "Hey, I have 800 pounds of yellowfin. It's fresh going into Falmouth. Let's go. And like every restaurant gets a push notification, buyers. I feel like we're not utilizing the the, the broker system effectively, like the, yeah. the fish broker system. Yeah. You know, it, we, we're not. You know, I, I call Red's Best and and they're good. You know, they, they, 
distribute all over the world. But like, if you want to sell, you know, yellowfin, it's hard. I mean, I, unless you want to, unless you have an in with somebody, hmm. you know, or big eye. Or, Which is insane. Cause you tell a few friends that you have yellowfin. They're like, hell yeah, I'll have some yellowfin. Everybody loves yeah. yellowfin. You know, you leave a cooler full on the porch, pick it up whenever it's gone in less than 12 to 24 I hours. I don't yeah. know. We need to eat, eat more gap. of our fish here. It's, it's a, pretty sad, honestly. I just think that there's the, the you know, I feel like the, uh, the demand is there. But it's it's exploiting it's it's being able to harvest that demand to, to be able to find it and and uh, I feel like the buyers are just using their their connections that they've always had and they need to expand because the because the fisheries expanded there's more fishing effort there's more fish being caught um, I don't even know if you know everyone blames wicked tuna I, I honestly think it's just the the fishing in general like the it's 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 just a lot easier the flexibility of work has increased the fleet size mm. you know people can work from out there now plain and simple and you Good can point. catch a, you can catch a tuna with a pogie at 20 feet three yeah. miles off the beach three yeah. miles off the beach you know you anybody you don't need in a big boat you dinghy can do, can do that skiff. yeah and and that's what's happening there are a lot of guys out there you know just part-time you know, weekend guys that are just like, yeah, I'll, I'll that are crushing them. seven fish, you know, a month, whatever. Yeah. Right. There are 140 plus boats in December. In, in December. December in one spot. Yeah, that was crazy. That's just like. Doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. And and like, that, if you were to tell me that like 10 to 15 years ago. I would have told you you were out of your fucking right, the mind. world. The yeah. world is coming to yeah. like <laughs> mid-November was like late to catch a tuna yeah. or late to even tuna fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get one around Thanksgiving and you're like a hero in your own mind. I remember you know? talking to Mitch Roffer one time and he was like, all right. He goes, I don't have turkey for Thanksgiving. We have tuna. And I'm like, tuna? What do you mean? He's like, oh, yeah, fresh caught tuna. We catch, we'll go out and catch a Cape Cod bluefin in Thanksgiving. And I remember like telling people like, some people catch them in November. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Now it's like. Friggin' January. I know. Yeah. yeah, you're not cool unless you call it in January now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Wow. I'm still working on December. I fished one day with Rob West like five years ago. It was December 16th. We went out there, only boat, and we were marking fish. We were at Middlebank. <clears throat> I don't even know why. Somebody told me they'd seen fish. Maybe it was like I heard a rumor or whatever. But I was out there with Rob. And so I'm like, I got to a point where I'm like, these can't be fish. They got to be like... Like seals, <laughs> well, you yeah. the same. No, absolutely. I was yeah. like, they got to be like mammals, or like, or on my fucking machines, like on a Zoom mode. <laughs> yeah, right? and so they're all mackerel. mackerel. They're all gigantic <laughs> mackerel. And so I, so Everett Sawyer was out there. I don't know if you guys know yeah. Everett. So yeah. Everett's out there, and he's trolling. He was off of like Peaked Hill, like like trying to get small fish, and then he was gonna come in and and, and giant fish at the end of the day. So he comes in. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm, I'm marking fish, I think, but I, I haven't got a bite. And and Rob's like, it's gonna be dark and you know at four thirty, so we should leave at four. So we pull up the lines and we leave at four o'clock. And I'm just about to enter the canal, and my phone blows up, and Everett's like, I'm doubled up. Where are you? <laughs> uh, so they were fish, yeah. and they fucking chewed. But yeah. we were the only two boats out there, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, and that was the only day I fished in December other than this year. I, I did that one day. Of course, I picked the day that like there were 140 boats and like yeah, five yeah. fish. Some of the surface feeds we saw in December were mind boggling. I heard it was insane out there. Like, it was the, insane. The first day the was first day was silly. Absolutely like, insane. It kind of like nothing really was going on. And then like we... I think we got one of the first bites the on that northern edge. The bait was good edge. in the morning. It was pinned. You could tell there were tunas on it. 
Yeah. And there was this like singles, doubles, just in the bait in the yeah, dark. Right. But as soon as that fucking sun came up, it was insane. It was mayhem. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, literally. Speech. Oh, yeah. If you didn't catch one, you just put another rod out and caught another one. Like, yep. if you, I mean, if you didn't land one, right. you just put another rod out wow. and you're on again. But it didn't, la- if you lost them, if you didn't have your fish by 10 or weren't on by 10, it was yeah, it pretty was much over. over. So it was a morning thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, were you guys, um, fishing like north of the, of the fleet because some people we i heard when you were up there okay yeah. it was because i i talked with uh not really far north just the northern side we would, yeah the northern side we kind of you know coming from that direction we'd take a peek you know kind of work the notch up and then get just up on the northern edge of the shoal water in like 85 yeah yeah you know yeah i heard from a couple people that they they had done better up there like after the fact i heard that it was good the two mornings where the the feeds were crazy it just looked like everything came from the east northeast and smashed into that shoal and all the you know bait just kind of congregated there and hung out it was nuts but there was still stuff you know past the shoal down on the edge just giants sickle tails all of the surface when like you're on you're just looking around there's giants all around you yeah i love crazy i love yeah it's cool the birds were cool too i mean we hadn't really seen you know the shearwater, you know right. white turn madness for most of the season. Yeah. So to see that felt pretty good. A little bit peaked. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I want to take a a quick step back because we talked about it on the way up the stairs, and it might be a touchy subject. But what are your thoughts on sonars? <laughs> sonars for tournaments and and all that. I want. I love hearing I want them everybody's... to be more affordable. Yeah. No shit. No. Um. Well. Yeah, I, I mean the sonar. Let's face it. You can it, cut it it. if you want to cut something. Out, we can it, always cut whatever up. Yeah. No, I, I mean honestly, it's 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 a controversial subject for a lot of people because it really does make a difference. I, I am convinced of that. And I, what happened? I I learned that the hard way. I went down to fish the Mid Atlantic like four years ago, and I had Maddie and Tommy with me, and we rigged for like you know two days, and and we were like prepared and. That's a big tournament. There's, I forget how many boats, several hundred boats, but, you know, it's it's very white marlin focused, um, obviously. And then, you know, we weren't white marlin fishing. We were going to go blue marlin fishing. But when I got down there, I saw all these guys rigging all these mullet dredges and, and I'm like, shit, we got to, we, we got to start rigging more natural, you know, dredge stuff. And, and so we, we spent so much time and energy like rigging up for that tournament. And then, I started seeing at, at you know after the first day some of these boats coming in with all these flags, and I walked over to one of them and, and uh, the captain actually came over to me and, and introduced himself and I was like hey you know nice day you know where were you, where were you guys and he's like oh yeah no we just we got a, we got one bite and I had him on the sonar and we just we stayed with him and 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 basically I went I went and looked you know on the bridge and and he showed me he had recorded you know the the actual fish and showed me like how it worked and you can once you get a bite on sonar and you're marking packs of whites because a lot of times they're they're in packs you can stay on the fish and you can you know instead of guessing like which way did they go did they go left or right sonar allows you to just stay on the fish and you can keep catching fish while you're releasing fish you're on another fish and then you when that fish is coming in you're on another fish and that's how boats like slay yeah. the whites as they they capitalize on the on the pack while it's there makes sense you know then they might not get a bite for two more it's not like the sonar is going to just tell you up oh, we're going to go from fish to fish to fish to fish it's more like you get the bite and you see the whites when they come up because the sonar picks up everything it picks up like all kinds of disturbance so it's not an easy thing to to 
to use. Mm. I mean, boats hire sonar, you know, technicians. Just that's all they do, you know. Um, Mm. It's like anything. I'm sure like once you have that mark and then you hook a white, you're like, okay. That's kind of what it looks like. It's kind of what it looks like. What was my aim? What was this? What was that? You kind of jot that down your log, you know, blue marlin, boom. And then you you can see that when you hook a white, right? And you look down in the sonar, you see the marks if it's a pack. Then you know, like, yeah, that looks like disturbance over here, but that's got to be whites because we have one on. Yeah. And they're oh, and they're on the starboard side. So I'm going to make a starboard turn, take it out of gear first, so whatever. So it'll, it, sonar allows you to just stay with that pack. And that's a huge advantage for bill fishermen, I, I think. And, you know, and then I hear stories. I haven't seen this firsthand, but, you know, where people, I, I think Miles Daly was telling me, you know, you can, you can actually hone in on blues, you know, and he, he said it was a game changer the first year. He used it a couple of years ago. We were in Nantucket and same thing. And so when, when guys like that are saying that it that it helps, it obviously helps. The first time I ever used it was with Miles and it was unbelievable. Just watching the packs of yellow fins, it was unbelievable. And there's some uh, in regards to blues on the sonar. That guy um, in Hawaii, Brian Tony, posts a yeah, lot of that wild stuff. videos. Yep. A lot of it's underwater pretty, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brian, I just talked to Brian the other day about mud flap dredges. I was picking his brain to, to just ask him what he does. I'd like to get him on the podcast. Yeah, it'd be cool. He'd be great. He Just don't talk politics. Yeah, yeah, no. We'll stick <laughs> <laughs> his Facebook or is maybe absolutely we'll. hilarious. <laughs> or actually, oh, yeah. maybe you should. <laughs> I just love his no-filter attitudes. So yeah, exactly. Says it how he, how he thinks it. That's funny. Yeah, no, sonar helps. I mean, I, it's 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 great technology, let's face it, but it's just so friggin' expensive. And and like, you know, it's a rich man's game, really. Mm. I mean, who the hell can afford a hundred and whatever it is, thirty thousand dollar unit? It, it, you know, like for me, I'd have to sacrifice like my galley to put a fucking <laughs> piston in there. I guess like, body part. I was yeah. like, uh, well, that's true. That's true. That's, yeah. that's amazing. But yeah, I'd have to I'd have to honestly though, I'd have to like ditch like you know, the closet with all my survival suits, like that would just turn yeah, into we don't a, need survival yeah, suits. Yeah, that'll turn into my sonar uh, yeah. piston right in the closet. Because it, it's, you know, it's a big device and it needs room to, you know, to... Return. It'll evolve quickly. I wonder, yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder what it's going to look, look like in 20 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll Is evolve. it going to be like plasma yeah. TVs that like they'll go down, you know, oh, fraction yeah, of the Oh, that's what cost. I think. That's what I think. The poor yeah. fish aren't going to have a chance in 20 years. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, we were just talking about underwater trail cameras. Yeah. For tunas. I know. You imagine? We're going, Brings me back to the fad. We're going east today. Yeah. A fad with a transducer a and then a receiver at the surface. And you're just like, oh, marked five in, on, uh, you know, southwest corner. Hey, marked east. 20 on northwest <laughs> right, hey, corner. Oh, like, let's go there in the morning. Hey, Joey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, get back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to go. Yeah. I know. Soon enough. You know, it's definitely coming. I want to try to get some, some underwater footage. Just in general, because we don't really do a lot of it. <clears throat> you know, we have GoPros and stuff sometimes on 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 in, in, on the deck. But like, it'd be great to just get like some hardware that would allow us to look underneath. You know, especially like you, know, you see those dredge cams, and you know where they where you see the marlins coming in and, and feeding or whatever. It'd be great to have a wide angle lens to see the entire spread i don't know how you do it if you you know someone's going to invent it though like something that trolls almost like a downrigger ball that trolls behind the boat that, that can look up yeah and see your spread the only i guess the only thing you risk is is noise and and obviously tangles 
Yeah. You know, but yeah, if it trolled almost vertical, like to your point, right. it shot up. straight up. Yeah. It would have to dig deep, which yeah. would push a lot and of pressure. You'd have to have a heavy knots. piece of that's a right, that's a heavy piece of you know, line, whatever the hell you're gonna use. Heavy braid, nine hundred braid, eight hundred pound blue <clears throat> marlin. Let's have a blue marlin under the boat at all times. Cameras in all angles. So where do you th- where do you think? Uh, I don't even know. And you may have already put it in rules and all that stuff. But what's kind of your stance on the sonars, and where do you think it's going to end up? So that's a good question. landing in your tournament. I've talked to Kyle um, about the tri-state and what his stance is. I know Montauk doesn't allow it, hmm. um, and. Uh, now, this year, they're signed on with the SFC, I believe, or they're working on it. So the SFC will have the OBBC, the Montauk Challenge, the Tri-State Shootout, the White Marlin Open, and the, and the South Jersey Yacht Sales. Turn. So there's five tournaments right there in the Northeast. I think all of those tournaments but Montauk allow sonar. Um, I allow it. I, I've thought about doing so this year we're adding a small boat division. We've had a big push for that. Guys with center consoles that don't want to compete with, you know, a, a 62 yeah. Viking. Why not have a I tournament? Like I tournament. like that. With, big, so, so big game yeah. battle format. Yeah, yeah. The big game battle's been doing it for years. A lot of tournaments, the Mid-Atlantic did it. So we're gonna have a small boat division, 36 feet in length and under. Now those boats can still compete in the OBBC. So so they if you know, say someone has a thirty-six yellow fin, they're like, I don't give a shit. I still want to get, you know, compete in all the Calcuttas and try to win the tournament. I mean, Cam Crocker won it, I believe, two years. I don't know if it was back to back, but they had like a contender and, and they won it. And they, you know, they had blue mar you know, blue marlin catches and and uh all kinds of stuff. So I mean you know, you don't need a big boat to win, obviously. Does it help? Absolutely, especially if the weather gets shitty. So we're going to have a small boat division. Um, but what I was going to say is the small boat division will allow small boats to compete selectively with just boats in that division if they choose. Hmm. So that way, you know, if you do have a small boat and you don't want to compete with, you know, lights out, which, which is a big Viking, you can you can opt to just compete with boats in your category and have your own Calcuttas in that category. Um, we'll have trophies for that category, Calcutta's for that category. But what we're not trying to do is segregate and kick the small boats out of the the big money. Um, we're just trying to make it so they don't have to be forced into competing with with the big boats if they don't want to. I mean, it's a it's a tough subject because the sonar is controversial. People have bitched about it, but I'm telling you right now, it's not easy to use, and the people I know who have it are still learning how to use it and they aren't a hundred percent that it makes a world of difference. You know, miles is because I'm pretty sure they had somebody on board showing them how to use it and, and doing a lot of the legwork, you know, that's and if expensive. you, and it's expensive, you got to hire somebody to do that. Like that's a full time, that's like a mate. Um, yeah. So, and, and not everybody has, you know, funds to throw around like that. So, I mean, um, It'd probably destroy my brain if I had a sonar. I'd be staring at it. Talk, talk about seasickness. I'd probably be nauseous after like 10 seconds because I'd be looking at that thing the whole fucking time. Because um, that's the thing. you got to stare at it. You know, from what I understand, you really got to pay close attention. I feel like you need to work your way up to it. Like you can't just buy a boat and have fucking sonar. Like, right. 
Well, you can do anything with money, but I yeah. understand. Right. But like talking about fishing and becoming a better fisherman overall, like I feel like you're just going to kind of do yourself a service. Are you going to work backwards? You know, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to have sonar if you're yeah. just getting into that. That's it, just right? my rule. Because <laughs> you're so jealous. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I can't wait till Unfor- this. Unfortunately, though, the, what dictates that is is income. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. It's correct. like you're allowed. If, oh, if you if you make six million a year, you're allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that is tricky, and it's the problem is it's, it can be solved with money. You know, it's like having True. it's like having a better it's a shame. set of reels. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like the guy with. The Talicas versus, you know, the Squalls are probably going to be able to pitch at White Marlin better. Yep. You know, I will say this. We're going to talk about this at the seminar too. It's just, you know, the, 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 um, the significance of like real weight, tackle oh, yeah. weight, and, and how when you're in the bait and switch game, and, and by the way, that is a blast. I, we started doing it this year, um, you know, just basically trolling dredges. And some long baits, shoots or whatever you like, and, and uh, you know, maybe something up the middle. But, like, really just focusing on your dredges and maybe a couple of nakeds. But, like, being able to con- convert so when those blues come in or whites, I-, I could care less about white marlin, to be honest with you. But, I, you know, when you're fishing a tournament, trying to get points, uh, but the blues come in, I, I um, picked up 250 Talicas, four pitch rods, and, and I'm having Zach build us some um, two seven-foot pitch rods. And you really need a longer rod for a pitch, I've learned, because it helps you kind of get outside the wash. Makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, you know. And and, and so um, I've been kind of looking into, like, the way the guys are doing it, and a lot of them are – they're not always using natural dredges either. I'm noticing that a lot of guys are using just, like, artificial dredges with, you know, electric reels, not trying to do it by hand. <clears throat> I know they're expensive, the LPs are what we have – they're not cheap. That's another point going back to the sonar. It's you're right. It's a you know? money game. It's it, but you know what? They're awesome. You 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 set them and the beauty beauty thing about the LPs is you can have a setting where like you hit the button and you, and the reel remembers where to stop. So the dredge comes up, boom, stops and hangs. So now when you when you're hooked up and it's a fucking fire drill, you get two dredges out. Somebody all, you know, someone's job on my boat is just to hit the buttons. On both dredges, like that's the first thing, you know, just to get the dredges out of the way. Because mm. you leave a dredge in the water, we've done it, you know. I think I had your, one of the dredges I bought from you. It was like four hundred bucks. It's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, that was back in the day when we were like tying them to the cleat, oh, and yeah. then like, you forgot about the dredge, <laughs> dredge, dredge. Very fishing. I see a piece of line down. Yeah, on the topaz with Rob, he would just scream dredge as soon and as a bite. Like not like wood side the fish is up or anything. Like rods on dredge, 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 dredge is yelling. Hilarious. It is so important though when a billfish comes up to get that at least that side out of the water. Got to get it out of the water out as of the quickly water. as possible and get a bait back there as quickly as possible. Yeah. And when you my my point was. I got sidetracked, but if you have a light rod, like a straight butt rod, like with a ta- like the Talicas are, I mean, again, they're not cheap. Yeah. They're really expensive reels, but they're the best, you know, and and uh, they they are perfect for the pitch game. And so we're, you know, I, we were using 50 uh, Tiagras, and that's kind of a cumbersome reel to like bang around, especially when you have a Teak rocket launcher, yeah. which also costs money to have resurfaced every few years. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you get like these rods being flung around the cockpit, but I mean, when you have a nice light reel, it's so much easier. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, we're going to talk about that at the seminar and, and because that's a lot of fun. And I feel like guys are missing out 
when, when you know when you're putting all that shit in the water, a lot of times blue marlin come up. We've we've we troll a lot of like Nomad uh, DTX minnows, and those things are great by the way for tunas. The tunas love them, but the billfish do too. And a lot of times we you know you can ask Dylan. We had a lot of wax where, and I think they were blue marlin hitting it because we. All of a sudden, you'd, you know, the flat rod would go boom and it would bounce. And Dylan would be like, oh, something, you know. And then like five seconds later, we'd have a blow up on one of the baits with a blue marlin. And you'd either miss it. And usually they do because they have so much water they're pushing. They throw a spreader bar. And they always hit like the shit you don't want them to hit. Yeah. When you're doing a multi-species spread, yeah. Yeah. they come up on the fucking spreader bars, you know. And you see a, like a wake and the bar gets like rolled over. And then he's gone. But the fact is they're coming up on shit like and hitting it. You know, or, or actually whacking it probably with their bill. Um, but so that's the problem with having a lot of crap on the water is that you you miss the bites, you know, and a lot of times they'll swim away, you know, whereas, you know, when you have just a bait and switch set up, you can have those fish following you, even if you screw it up. Um, and unless they feel the hook, then they're, you're, they're yeah. gone. But especially with the whites. Especially with the whites. I mean, for us to catch whites, they got to commit suicide. <laughs> they got to just come in hard. And just... Those things can be so frustrating. They're very frustrating. Unless you have a circle hook, a small circle hook too, like a thin circle hook, and, and you're doing it right. Like I was talking to, uh, I don't know, it was Tim Richardson, someone who know, who's been in the game for years, just to explaining how when you when you do you know set the hook with a circle hook, and, you know, in the troll game, the bait and switch game, you literally have to go like up when it's time to, to set. It's like click, click, click. It's not like set the hook with the la- with the drag lever, even though you're not doing this. It's the same inertia because mm-hmm. the boat's doing eight knots. And if you just go up like that on the drag, it's the equivalent of doing this. And a lot of times, you, and we learn the hard way. Ask Billy. We learn the hard way doing that. But it's really just a slow click, 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 you know. You're just trying to get the line to set the hook. You don't need a whole lot of Pretty pressure, much. especially when you're moving yeah, forward. Those thin hooks. Yeah. Like anchored, it's slightly different. You know, we go up pretty fast. We're also sitting still, you know? Yeah. Um, so seminar stuff. Yeah. I feel like we've gone around in this conversation. No, we've, been, up, we've been on track, you know, talking about the season, seasickness, yeah. tournament fishing, sonar. So a couple things I want to talk about. Um is the seminar topics, what you're looking forward to. But I also wanted to circle back to uh, SFC and how that, the logistics of that went. Your first year. Let's start yeah. there since we're kind of still on the fishing yeah. topic. Talk about the SFC. SFC first. Yeah, yeah. So the SFC, so this will be their third year. Sport Fishing Championship for those of you who don't know what it is. Yep. Sport Fishing Championship. It's basically like a, a PGA tour, if you will, of, of, of sport fishing. Um and they have a golf division and an Atlantic division, and they are expanding, and they're now going to have four divisions. They're going to have a golf division, an Atlantic, a Caribbean, uh, and I forget what they're calling the fourth one. It, it, this is now for 2025. For 2024, there's still there'll still be an Atlantic and a and a golf division. Um, but basically, they they uh, they televise each each event and. Tournament boats, like for instance, in the OBBC, it's optional to fish the SFC. So when you sign up for my ter- for the OBBC, you don't have to fish the SFC. It's an extra en- entrance fee to fish the SFC, but there's a lot of prize money involved. They they have a uh, they had a, a million dollar um, prize 
you know, overall winner prize. And then they also have species prizes, big as Big Eye, which I think I'm pretty sure Gypsy got. Um, and that's 50,000. Then it's big as Mahi, 50K. So they, you know, they mix it up. And so they create some incentives. Um, and the, I, I think they do a really good job in, in the way they, they, you know, carry out the rules. Um, their rules are a little bit different than mine, but basically their rules are, you have to follow the rule of the tournament you're in. So they don't, try to change the the platform of rules. But, um, you know, my tournament's a little different than like uh, other tournaments because of the point structure. But the bottom line is um, like SFC has, and this is going to sound confusing, but they have like an allotment of points for a blue Marlin that's different from my point system. So the bottom line is it's two separate tournaments, if you will. So their, their tournament is kind of a subsidiary tournament in the OBBC, also in the tri-state in the Montauk tournament. Two different score scorecards, same set of rules. Same set of rules, two different scorecards, but here's the, here's where it gets tricky. The, they mandate that boats have to fish three of their division tournaments. So in the Atlantic division, I think there's an August, St. Augustine, the white Marlin open, the Montauk, the South Jersey, the tri-state and the OBBC, I believe there's six events and boats have to fish three out of those six to qualify. Um, the nice thing is, you know, now they have a presence first year. They didn't really have a presence up here in the Northeast. Tri-state wasn't involved. It was just me. And then the next tournament was down in like Florida. Um, it was, I mean, I'm sorry, it was, it was South Jersey. And then there was Florida. So it was tough the first year. Not many. I only think we had one or two boats that f- tried to fish all three. Now we actually have an, a slew of boats that are fishing the circuit, which is great. Um, and there's prize money for that too. So if you win the Atlantic Division, there's I think a hundred thousand dollar prize. So they're they're trying to beef up the incentives without going too crazy because they obviously try need to survive and make money as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I guess uh, if I had to say how's it going, it's going well. I mean they. They're, you know, they have a professional crew. They, they, their production's great. They, they don't get in people's way. They put cameras on a lot of the boats that that fish the SFC. Like in my tournament, I think they put cameras on all the SFC boats. Um, and everybody had great things to say about their production staff. They, you know, like I said, they didn't get in the way. They just and they do a nice job filming. Um, yeah, their production quality is really good. Yeah, it's good stuff. But you know. I guess the the flip side of it is it it does um, it it does create for me so they 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 were, were um, it, it creates some extra work because now you're trying to you know I'm trying to kind of educate the boats that in the OBBC on what the SFC is trying to do what they're trying to accomplish and. Um, you know, because I'd like to see more participation. I'd like to see, I think we, we had six or seven boats in the SFC last year in the, from the OBBC. It'd be nice to have 20 boats, mm. you know, but they don't really need that um, because it, it, I'll tell you with a small group, it's kind of fun because you get to know the crews and the boats. You know, sometimes you see, I remember watching uh, ESPN back in the day, they did like a billfish circuit and there was you know some big tournaments and it was hard to you didn't really get to know the teams yeah whereas the sfc they're good about kind of profiling the people builds a story personalities less videographers the smaller the group you know 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guest, products that we use, or other podcast partners, please check out the description for this episode on our website, seabrosfishing.com. For information on our tail and fish artwork commissions, or to order our hats and other products, please check out our website or shoot us a message on Instagram. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel, give it a like and subscribe. And finally, if you want to book a fishing charter with us on one of the Mass Bay Guides boats, please visit massbayguides.com and call the office to book a trip. We appreciate you all.